We're getting back on track here with Catherine and Emily, but as you know, we won't stay there for long because this is the Going Off Track podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Going Off Track podcast. I'm Catherine. That's Emily. We are back from our winter vacation. It is still the off season. Uh, still trying to figure out what we're going to do with our lives until uh, things really start ramping up. But we're back we're closer. with another. We're, we're closer. We're much closer. We are closer to the start of the season. We're closer to the Drive to Survive drop. We're yep. closer to everything. New liveries, other new, uh, new personnel announcements. We are, we are getting, getting closer. Um, and if there are things that we um, have, have come out in the news between our last F101 episode, um, before we went off to the winter break, we will address that in next week's episode. We're going to do a whole little roundup. Um, but until then, we're here to talk about um, F101 again. And this is uh, the 2005 United States Grand Prix, which is something that I've referenced, uh, we've, we've both referenced a lot this year, especially around um, the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Um, so, and as the F101 series is really just an excuse for me to watch old races, um, we are, we are de- doing a deep dive into one of the most ridiculous races in the history of Formula One um, and the, res- the, the race that basically everyone was mad about, except one person, and we'll get to that later. Yeah, this one is uh, quite a peach. Quite a piece yeah. of a race. <laughs> yeah, we, we've had many races of attrition, um, but we have not had a race where of the 20 cars, only six competed while the other 14 voluntarily withdrew following the formation lap. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even, like, I don't have a response to that because right? it's so hilarious that six cars competed. Yeah, and, and not only was it six cars, but if you look at the starting grid, um, which if you are bored and desperate for, for some Formula One content and you have an F1 TV subscription or a way to access old races, definitely give this one a watch. It's a, you know, a good couple hours of your life. But looking at the starting grid, once it once the, the 14 runners that didn't run peeled off, you have cars that were running um, P5, they, they qualified P5 and P7, and then you have 17, 18, 19, and 20. So you have two cars over here, and then you have a, you have the other four cars all the way in the back. And that's the beginning of your race. Love. Love that yeah. for the U.S. Grand Prix. Yeah, this race was called one of the strangest races ever, one of the greatest farces in the long and proud history of the sport. Um, and basically, it was just a hot pile of garbage, of a mess. Cluster fluff. Cluster fluff. Yeah, it is It is. It is really the, the cluster to which all Formula One races since the 2005 race have been compared to, um, which is, like we said, why we kept comparing Vegas, which had a lot of shades of this before the, the race was actually good. Uh, but the lead up to it was very much like the cluster mess that was this 2005 race. Yeah. So Catherine watched the entire race because she has an F1 TV subscription. I still do not because... I'm me. And I'll get there eventually. It's on my list of to-dos. That's what I tell everybody about everything in my life. It's on my to-do list. I'm getting there. But Catherine actually watched this entire thing. I'm familiar with what happened, but I don't know the turn-by-turn breakdown as well as Catherine did because she just watched this. 
So I'm going to kind of help all of us educate ourselves by interviewing Catherine and getting the uh, the good opinions, probably throwing in some of my wildly unwanted and unnecessary opinions, but that's who I am. So that'll come with it. But in order to do this, I want to kind of like transport ourselves back to 2015. Because if you think about 2005. it, 2005. That's what I meant, 2005. It's almost 20 years ago, which is wild. Like, I know it's not 20, it's ish 20. We're rounding. But it's a really long time ago. I use really in whatever sense I want to. 20 years is a long time. So mm-hmm. going back to 2005, this Grand Prix was in Indianapolis. So this is pre-Coda, pre-Miami, pre-all of these races. This is when Formula One used to race in Indianapolis, which is wild. To think that they had a race there for Formula One, like anything outside of you know Indy, NASCAR, whatever, is extremely strange to think. Um, this also is <laughs> when, like, if you think about it, I don't know how old I was. How old was I? I was 15. I was 12. Yeah. I didn't even, like, know that this was a thing. Yeah. Like, so far removed from it. Um, but yeah, like, long, long time ago. And if we want to take a look at who was even driving what f1 was f1 was like in 2005 you can probably guess one driver that was around (laughs) our favorite senior citizen on on track fernando alonso (laughs) was driving um and he would go on to win the world title this the 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 year of this uh championship yeah so that's wild. So going all the way back to 2005, Fernando Alonso is the world champion. He's still on track. <laughs> Senior citizen for Alonso. Um, this was the first year of Red Bull. So Red Bull was introduced in 2005. Um, the iconic F1 sponsorship of Marlboro for Ferrari, back when this was allowed, was still there. Um, so if you see some like really cool old school Ferrari gear, a lot of it has Marlboro on it because back in the day, 2005, um, you could have spons- like tobacco sponsors, which you can't have anymore. Well, um, you can't have overt tobacco sponsors. Well, they, 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 they get a little sneaky, but you can't have straight up a cigarette brand plastered to the side of your car. <laughs> but it's so iconic and it's so yep. cool. Like. I mean, not that 12-year-old Emily saw it and was like, I want to smoke cigarettes, but like just the, that sponsorship is, you know, big. Significant. Very significant. Yes. Um, So again, like we were talking in our F101 before the break for the Braun episode for 2008, 2009, you still refueled cars. So 2005, obviously, you know, a few years before that, they were still refueling cars, which meant that pit stops were like eight seconds on the fast end. Some of them were like 11 um, on the slow end, which is wild to think now, you know, McLaren set the world record of what 1.8 seconds for a pit stop. And most of them are like under three seconds, which is wild. So yeah, few, few things to get us into the mindset of 2005. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a time. Um, I still had no concept of what formula one was back then. Um, I was just, you know, I was 15. I was getting ready for my sophomore year of high school. 
uh, going to summer camp, you know, the usual. Um, it was still going my, to summer camp. My still last, going to summer camp. And I'm still going to summer camp. That, uh, 2005 was my last year as a camper. I was in the leadership group. Um, and I still work with the leadership program because – I have Is it fair to again. say that you are the Fernando Alonso of your summer camp? Oh my god! <laughs> you know what? I'm sure people would make that argument if they knew who Fernando Alonso was. So yes, I am the Fernando Alonso of my summer camp. Um, oh, I love it. That's I love that's, it. that's 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 perfect. You're um, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So it was. Um, nobody saw this coming. Actually. Um, the, the, the idea that there could have been an issue, um, leading up to this race, um, was actually known by one of the tire suppliers. And that's one of the biggest things that was happening back then that kind of led to the situation that we, um, ended up being in was a little thing called the tire wars. Um, and in the, the history of, of Formula One itself, prior to the 2007 season, there were only 12 seasons where there was one tire supplier every every other year. I mean, there was up to like five tire suppliers at one point back in like the 50s. Um, but by this time in 2005, you had Michelin versus Bridgestone and Bridgestone was the international equivalent of Firestone in the United States. And that's important. Remember that. Um, Bridgestone joined the grid as a supplier in, from 1997 to th 2010, which is when Pirelli took over, and Pirelli has the contract to 2027 at this point. Um, and then Michelin was on the grid in the 70s and 80s before returning in 2001 uh, to 2006. Um, and to like add another wrinkle of, you know, not only do you have your car development, do you have to make the choice of your engine supplier? The added layer of competition is you had to pick who was going to supply your tires for the year. So question for you, because I'm also curious, if you went with Bridgestone, you were with Bridgestone the whole year, you couldn't switch over to Michelin, regardless yes. of performance that you were seeing on the track. Correct. Yeah, you you were just just like you were locked into an engine supplier contract like for a few years, um, and you saw this in the early seasons of Drive to Survive. Um, Red Bull was tied into their engine supplier contract with Renault, um, and then when they got you know tired of Renault's poor performances, they moved on to um, they brought back on they brought Honda back and now they're you know Red Bull powertrains, um, but. In this year, there were only three teams were Bridgestone. Everyone else was Michelin. So the three Bridgestone teams were Ferrari, Jordan, and Minardi, I believe. I think my things have changed. <laughs> oh yeah, we, we've we've got we've got team names who are who are no longer team names. Yes, it was it's Ferrari, Jordan, and Minardi. Um, so everything's fine. And then we get to free practice in, in Indianapolis, um, where we have two really bad crashes um, from the Toyota drivers, um, Ralph Schumacher, everyone's favorite um, uncle to Mick Schumacher. Um, and if you have watched our F1, F1, uh, F101 episode about uh, Gunther Steiner's book, uh, Surviving to Drive, then you will know just how much Ralph loves Haas. Um, and another um, driver who was not a driver on the grid, but they they had brought a few um, third car drivers to, to participate in free practice for this race. So um, Ricardo uh, Zonta 
Um, so they both crashed. Um, and, and ultimately, there were 11 more tire failures throughout the practice sessions. Um, and that's when Michelin realized that the banking in turn three, because this was a NASCAR IndyCar track that Formula One was racing on, um, they they realized that the banking was causing extra pressure on the Michelin tires that was causing them to fail and they would not be safe to drive. And it, it got to a point where Michelin basically said that they could not certify the tires as safe for more than 10 laps. And this is a 73 lap race and there's no way you're going to have, um, you know, 10 pit stops per driver. So this is kind of similar then to what happened this season with Pirelli coming out and saying, hey, these tires are only good, like you can only race 17, 18 laps on these tires and you have to pit and change tires. Yeah, so so very similar to what happened in Qatar. Um, in, in Qatar, the one of the things that they did, which was probably based off this situation here, is because it was a safety issue, they reprofiled parts of, or they, they, they tweak a, a little bit of the track, um, but same as um, going back to 2005, um, the, the teams were trying to, to put together like, you know, how are we going to fix this to make this, you know, safe for the 14 drivers who are in these cars? And one of the, you know, leading theories of, of things that would have worked was basically to create a chicane at that turn so that they wouldn't be banking and wouldn't be putting that added pressure on the tires, similar to how in Qatar, they were putting extra pressure on the tires by the way that the um, the curbs are shaped. They were, they're shaped like little pyramids, which I guess is, is really good for um, the MotoGP racing. That is really the, the main reason why the, the Qatar track exists. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then one of the interesting parts is whether or not Bridgestone, you know, Bridgestone ultimately didn't have an issue there. They were kind of known as the more conservative, um, you know, tire manufacturer, but they were aware that there were some issues with the track, which I guess had been, you know, resurfaced and it was a lot rougher than it had been in years past. And at the um, Indy 500, Firestone, which is their international, their, their American equivalent, basically, you know, gave them a heads up and reported on the track conditions and basically said, you know, here's what you need to prepare for when you bring your Formula One cars here. So a little insider information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, publicly available insider information that... And then Michelin did bring in a different tire mix to try to, you know, make this work, but they still had, ran into the same failures. I mean, I know you're, you're asking, well, the entire grid did qualify. Why were they able to qualify? And then if, if they weren't going to race, well, you can do one lap and be fine. You couldn't do more than 73. 10. You yeah. couldn't do 73. Yeah. And this was a, a two pit stop race or it was, is what it ended up being. It probably still would have ended up being, even if it, there were all 20 cars, you know, on the grid. Interesting. So yeah. what did the, like, obviously if they found out that there was this issue, how did the F1 teams handle it? Like, did they go to the FIA? Like what got, how did that all go down with the FIA and F1. 
Yeah, so they did go to the FIA to try to come up. They they came up with a number of alternatives. They basically said, you know, put in the chicane, um, penalize the the Michelin runners, and make this like a non like they won't score, but they will still be able to 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 race, and the and the Bridgestone runners will will be able to come away with points. Um, but and they basically the the response from <clears throat> the FIA was um, basically if you change this track. It will not be certified, and we will cancel the race entirely. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Whether so that that's why was... nothing. That's why they didn't put in a chicane. That's why nothing happened. That's why only the Bridgestone dri- or drivers were able to race was because the FIA pretty much said like we'll just cancel it. Yeah, and and there were there are a number of rules that would have been broken for non participation, which um we'll we'll discuss how that impacted the the Michelin runners in, in a little bit, but um. There, there were base. There were a bunch of regulations on, you know, tire choice and tire usage. That basically there was no like you couldn't throw Bridgestone tires on the other fourteen runners. Fourteen runners. Right. Yeah. And basically, it is what it is. They chose Michelin. Their tires aren't performing. Yeah, Michelin was was the one who you know they was got that, it wrong. Like we we've yeah. seen in the past that Pirelli hasn't brought the the best you know tire mix for the three types of tires to to a certain race um, in in recent years. And in this case, Michelin just created a tire that you know we we don't do a lot of banking on Formula One tracks. Like it's just not what you know, we see a lot of, but at the, you know, in Indianapolis Motor Speedway, there's a lot of banking there because that's what you do in IndyCar and that's what you do in NASCAR. Wild. Yeah. It's just so, and like, I get that they wouldn't make a tire just for one race, but you think that they would have some mix that would allow for them to perform. It was it was something about the construction of the tire itself that was the issue, I believe, mm. where the pressure that was exerted on the car during the banking in this one specific turn was just too much on it. And it would have just caused, you know, it, it would have, it would have failed no matter what they even said, you know, tell everyone to go slower, but that's not exactly a reasonable expectation that everybody's going to remember, you know, you have to slow down to, you know, what, 15 miles an hour in turn 13. And that would also cause another safety issue. And that's also the uh, turn 13 is where you peel off and uh, go into the pit lane as well so it it just it didn't work (laughs) and they couldn't find a compromise that would allow those runners to go all the drivers wanted to go to like they no one was happy about this decision oh I'm sure and everybody was interviewed or on radio you know during and after and no one was happy at all well no I mean I'm sure you know f1 and fia was not happy either only having six cars race so essentially, because back then only the top eight teams got, or eight drivers got points, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so only six. That means everyone got a point. And if people in 17, 18, 19, and 20 in qualifying probably aren't going for points all that often or even podiums. So yeah. there were people this season, or this race at least, who scored points potentially got on the podium that had never done that well or finished that well in a race. 
Yeah, it, exactly. And and that that's actually a great point that you bring up the um so the fi- the final podium was Acker P1, um Rubens Barrichello in P2 both driving for Ferrari and then uh Tiago Montero driving for Jordan finished P3. Um now the po- fast forward to the end of the race, most awkward podium ever. Um basically the the guy who was in charge of the podium went to the drivers and was basically like there are no dignitaries, so I'm going to be handing you your trophies. We're going to do the anthem. We're going to go. And there, there was like, so are we having a podium? Or are we not? Like, there was a question of wh- whether they were going to have a podium or not. And the, the answer was yes. Um, Martin Brundle, who was on the broadcast back in 2005, I feel like he's been doing the broadcast forever. Um, he he said, if if Michael Schumacher does a victory leap on the podium, I'm going to punch him. Um, <laughs> which was basically the by the time we got to like the end of the broadcast, the end of the race, all the, like the Ferrari cars were a lap ahead of the other four cars in the field, because these were the cars that qualified at the back of the grid for a reason. Um, So it was really just a parade of six cars going down, going down this track and no one was happy about it. Um, The, the Ferrari cars almost crashed into each other fighting for position after the second pit stop where Barrichello, who had been in the lead for most of the race um, had given up position to Schumacher. And then they were basically told to stop fighting and then cruise to, they, they were literally told to cruise for the last 15 laps, which is completely and totally endemic to Barrichello's entire career, which we talk about a lot more in the Braun GP documentary F101 episode. So check that out he's one of my favorite drivers that always a bridesmaid never always bride. a bridesmaid <laughs> he 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 walked so Valtteri Botas could run yes I love him um so essentially it was the Ferraris fighting each other and then four cars following behind them yeah and like I said uh, about Montero um he was driving for Jordan he was the only one to celebrate being, you know, when he was on the grid for, for his third place finish, which rightly so it was his first and only podium of his career. And also the first podium for a Portuguese driver in the history of the sport. So you see, uh, Michael, you see Rubens, they're not happy. And then you see this guy and he's thrilled. Best day of his life. Best, best day of his life. Obviously, you know, super awkward um they they cut to the post-race press conference for the podium right right after it on the on the broadcast um on f1 tv and it's like yeah you know it's it's the the ferrari perspective was actually kind of interesting and it had been echoed by pretty much all the all three of the teams that ran and they said you know bridgestone's fine why are you going to penalize us for not having any issues which is a really good point. Like, they shouldn't be penalized because they have nothing wrong with their car. Like, if it was a issue that affected everybody because everybody was forced to use the same tire, that'd be a completely different story. But that's like saying, oh, well, you know, let me use Ferrari, for example. Um, you know, our we're having engine failure today, and you know, Haas also uses our engine. We think they're going to have engine failure. So like everybody needs to take a beat because we're having issues. Like, yeah, that's not how this sport works. So yeah, it was, it was really just, it's one of those things, you know, going back to, to Vegas and the issue with Carlos Sainz's car and, you know, in Vegas this year during free practice, Carlos 
his his car was attacked by a drain cover that destroyed the bottom of his Ferrari because of, of the downforce that they were running because it was not welded enough. Um, and there, you know, he still had to take a grid penalty because of the way the rules are set up in the sport. And it was the same thing back in 2005, where because of the way the rules were set up, you know, they you you couldn't just slap a Bridgestone tire on a Michelin car, you could, um, which is a whole contracts thing also. Um, yeah. and, and there was no safe way for them to run. Um, so therefore they couldn't run. Um, one of the other weird parts is, is like the fans had no idea what was going on. Like nothing was communicated prior to the race to the fans. Like, Hey, the Michelin runners can't go like, their first news about this, because, you know, we didn't have Twitter back then. Um, you know, the social, social media was very different in 2005. So they didn't know until they peeled off after the formation lap that 14 cars were not going to drive. That sucks as a fan. Yeah. Also yeah. going to Vegas of being like, I'm here for free practice too, and it's not going to run. And I've um, been waiting for six hours for free practice too. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, but that's weird that they wouldn't like communicate it, which is a question I had, like, did they know they weren't going to run and like they did the formation lap out of just, uh, like necessity, like they had to do the formation lap to like not get penalized or something, or did they do the formation lap and, and, and at that time everyone realized like, we can't do this. We're not going like, did they try to go up until the very last minute or what was no, it? No, they had decided, um, to, they, they decided that they were not going to go all, all of the, all of the Michelin runners, you know, they, they, they decided there were a few radio calls of, of drivers who were like, I want to go, I want to try. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll slow down at turn 13. Um, but the, the answer, answer was no peel off. Um, so, you know, going into it, the, the six teams, they all, they all knew that it wasn't going to happen. And then they all met in the Williams hospitality suite to write a, um, press release to discuss what happened and, you know, put out a, you know, a big apology type of thing. Um, and and basically, you know, they they were they were interviewing people throughout the broadcast, and basically everyone was mad. Like Ted Kravitz resorted to you know interviewing angry fans who had like there were fans from Mexico that had traveled you know all the way to Indianapolis to to watch this, paid for hotels, accommodations, you know, food, etc. Right, you know, tickets to the race, um, and the the fun question that ted asked was um are you still going to be a formula one fan after this and a couple of them said fine um and a couple of them said no we're done i mean i get the frustration and i get that it's less than ideal but i don't know if it'd be like oh no i'm not watching this ever again or i'm not a fan anymore because of this yeah. Like, I also think that like this was this was a time where Formula One was really not as well known in the United States compared to, you know, what it is now thanks to Drive to Survive and the three races that we have here. You know, this this was really, you know, more of more of a European thing. So it's like, why would I put the effort into this when I can just watch NASCAR in my own backyard? 
Yeah, they were probably talking to the NASCAR fans, too, and I can only imagine how that interview would have gone with uh, Ted Kravitz. Ted did actually ask somebody not to curse. He reminded someone not to curse before they answered their question. Um, and uh, then, you know, it was really, you know, pe- fans were throwing bottles of, you know, bo- water bottles, beer cans onto the track. Um, Michael Schumacher made a joke about, you know, I think you, I think I could smell beer, but it didn't impact me. Um <laughs> He's what German, was, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, what was really interesting, and I think part of this was because, you know, the safety regulations at the time were different and there were only six cars on track, but the marshals would just run out on track, grab the debris and run off instead oh of what we do now, which is, you know, virtual safety car, safety car. Um, but I guess, you know, when you have six cars on track and they're very spaced out, it's fine. Oh my God, that's so scary. Yeah. Just thinking about how, like, Lewis crossed the track or whatever this season, or... Yeah. Tour, yeah. How yeah, he, like, crossed did. the track, and he... It was, like, a, such a big deal, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you don't cross the track. <laughs> so I can't even imagine, like, the marshals doing that and grabbing... I'm just... I'm also just, like, envisioning, because this is me, like, angry Americans throwing things... Yeah. It reminds me of celebration on the 16th hole at Waste Management when everyone just like throws everything onto the green and it's just covered and they just like come out with brooms to like yeah. sweep off all the beer cans and and beer glasses. Uh, can't even imagine. So fans are yeah. pissed essentially. Yeah, fan- fans were were very upset. A, a lot of fans did stay. Um, they're like, you know, I, I spent my money. I'm going to get my money's worth, even if I'm just watching the same two Ferrari cars go back and forth and then four other cars coming back, you know, five seconds later. Um, well, yeah, and that, cause I was also- going to say like, did they get their money back or anything or what happened there? Cause it's not a race to watch four cars chase two Ferraris and the Ferraris be told not to fight. Right, exactly. And like I said, the Ferrari cars, they they backed off like two seconds off the the initial pace, you know, for those those last few few um, few laps. But um, Michelin poted up and they refunded all fans who purchased tickets for the race. They also had um, there was some other motor like not even like a motorsport equivalent but there was something happening in cleveland like the following week and they basically said if you have a formula one ticket we will honor your entrance um so so there were there were some local attempts but michelin did refund per um you know purchasers um there was of course a messy legal battle for the michelin teams um who were actually and we can thank Christian Horner for this, um, ultimately exonerated thanks to an Indiana state law that would have led the teams open to criminal liability if they willingly and knowingly let the drivers race on those cars, knowing that the tires were going to put them at risk. And basically said, legally in the state of Indiana where you made us race, um, they have a law that said that if we had sent our cars out and whether or not somebody did get injured, we would have been legally liable. Um, so ultimately, the teams were not punished for not running. So why do you say thanks to Christian Horner? Did he find this out or what did... <laughs> He was the one who pointed out the 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 legal or somebody on 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 the the Red Bull legal team pointed out say. and and he and and I think he was the one to tell the FIA and and come out publicly and say legally the state of Indiana would have killed us. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised the FIA the FIA even backed off. I feel like they're I mean, just well, they are a little spineless. 
That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. Oh my goodness. So this is kind of the end of the U.S. Grand Prix for a while then, right? This yeah. was the last one, and then, I mean, then we got Coda, but um, it was kind of a big risk bringing it back. Just not that it was, you know, the U.S.'s fault, but it happened at a U.S. Grand Prix, and so it's like, oh, we're reviving it. Yeah, <sighs> well, it, so it was this, it was actually the second to last. They, the okay. contract in um, Indianapolis was through 2006, so they raced again the following year. No issues, but I'm going to assume that the United States fan interest was not there at all. Um, I, I think that it 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 really did a lot of damage and really turned, you know, the United States off to Formula One based on this incident. Um, haven't gone into how it revitalized in the years before Drive to Survive once they did move down to Cota, um, but that was kind of the start to the point where we're at now, where Cota is one of the best races on the Formula One calendar, one of the most fun and accessible of the United States races, um, and it is really... I would, I would like to argue it's the only accessible U.S. race because Miami and Vegas are like... That's that's fair. Non-accessible. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, you know, they, they've done a lot of work because um, obviously, you know, they're, they're, there are over 300 million people who live in the United States. Um, and if you have like a fraction of that interested in Formula One, then that's a lot of money that you're that you're getting. Plus the international appeal of going to places like Miami and Vegas and Austin, Texas, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, you know. Don't hate on my cute little Austin, Texas, even though it's you're not cute, even cute and small anymore. Your your cute little your, your cute little town. Um, but yeah, it was it 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 was a lot. Um, if you have have the time and the inclination um to to watch this this old broadcast and listen to people be mad for two hours, highly recommend it. Um it's I'm just gonna say if you have F1 TV, you have time because it's off season and we're all looking for things to do. So yeah, it's and it's 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 one of those like historically significant races um where you know it a lot of weird stuff happened. They also they go and and really detail all of the alternatives and explanations. They 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 go through it, and then at at one point, like two thirds into the race, they kind of just cut to commercial for a while, and you've just got cars, six cars on track, and you're just wait, waiting for something to happen. I was like, are we going to lose the audio for the rest of this? Um, so it was, uh, and and then the, the audio came back. It was like, oh, they just like they they finally gave up, and they're like, we're just going to give these guys a break because they've been talking for. For, for an hour and a half about the same, you know, the same things and, you know, allow, allow my, Martin Brundle to have a, a water break, so to speak. Oh, good old Martin. Speaking of the OGs, he, him and Alonzo are, you know, the, he's the Fernando Alonzo of commentating in F1. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and Fernando, this was um, his first world title, um, and he would be the youngest driver to win a world title until Lewis Hamilton took that over in 2008. So as we have said many, many times, Fernando Alonso has been involved with the sport forever. Forever. He's been with it for so long. I like giving out the Fernando Alonso award of like, you are the Fernando Alonso of this. You've been around Forever. Ever. And you're still good. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but it's just yeah. it's kind of crazy just it reminds you of like how wild the sport is and like the rules and everything and it's insane yeah and it's like the, the rules are there to protect the integrity of the sport which i understand um but then when you get into a like th- there have been in in f1 history and 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 martin brundle talks about this on the broadcast and i didn't i didn't write a lot, a lot of notes about this but there have been you know moments where there have been tracks that are unsafe that have to be you know repaired and made whole um and that caught you know that has made you know led to changes um for you know the the way a formula win- weekend runs and most of these were happening you know back in the you know 70s and 80s um and there there are just some sometimes where because of the way the regulations are set out that y- you know you can't there are no alternatives i.e carlos signs in vegas a.e carlos signs getting a grid penalty in vegas when the track broke his car yeah so stupid but anyways yeah. well Thanks for watching it, Catherine. <laughs> Absolutely. It was it was my pleasure. Um, and up next, we will have a rundown of the uh, news of the winter break so far. Um, what, you know, as, as we record this, the news has not come out yet. So we don't know what this news is going to be. Um, but whatever has come out, we will talk about it. And that'll give us something to do as we get closer to uh, livery reveals and uh, getting us uh, back on. On track for preseason testing i can't wait for drive to survive to come out I know. because it gets me just in such a good mood for the season and i get like so excited but we'll have yeah give us a few weeks we'll have liveries testing everything so new team names god new team names dumbest thing ever but i know here we are <laughs> here we are it is what so, it is well that has been our f101 on the 2005 U.S. Grand Prix. Thanks for going off track with us, guys.